You are listening to episode 12 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 32, Welliver System, 2372, February 17th. The watch cycle included two extended periods of downtime, one 12 stands long and the other 24. The Twelver fell across the 18 to 0600 time slot, giving the watchstander one good ship's night every third day. It works out pretty well. Get off watch, have a relaxing dinner on the mess deck, even have a little time for relaxation before taking to bed for a solid eight or nine. Of course, then the cycle begins again, but that's life no matter where you are. My body woke me at 0515 for rather pressing bladder control issues, and once vertical just continued on to the shower, a clean ship suit, and down to the galley for a fresh cuppa. I found Mr. Wyatt doing a very credible imitation of a steward, complete with fresh quiches in the oven and a second urn of coffee just coming up to drip. I had to give the man a lot of credit. Once he had the scope of a problem and clear understanding of his operational authority, he was an amazingly resourceful individual. He was particularly adept at logistical issues like meals. Somewhere around the end of the first week underway, he'd come to me with some revisions he wanted to do to the menus. My stipulation of frequency was actually a bit problematic, particularly around breakfasts. When I thought of my own preferences, I had to agree. Having omelets every morning was certainly not advisable, but being able to offer them more than once every two weeks certainly was. I accepted his changes and had been very pleased with the results. Miss Thomas even seemed less pinched about the eyes. Not only was she getting larger portions at meals, but the ready cooler had a bottomless supply of individually wrapped meat and cheese sandwiches. He even had some ready heat canisters of soup she could grab on the way to watch. I drew off the first mug of the morning and leaned back against the counter for a few heartbeats while Mr. Wyatt checked the status of his quiche. I looked up at the cargo list on the big screen, and those three canisters were still sitting at the top. The list had refreshed recently, judging from the status display. I kept thinking about the bet and what those three cans would do for us if we could take them. I couldn't very well suspend our arrangement without jeopardizing what I was working so hard to accomplish. On the other hand, the profit was sorely tempting. Of course, I was also feeling guilty about not getting home to Jen for another six weeks if we did take them. Standing there on the mess deck in the deep dark, I felt more than a bit guilty about the reality of the life we weren't really sharing. Frustrating, isn't it, Skipper? Mr. Wyatt was resting his forearms on the top of the work island and looking up at the screen with me. See anything else come by that was worth grabbing for, Avery? No, Captain. There have been a lot of mid- to low-value cargoes, but they all look pretty puny next to that one. I wonder why nobody's snagged it yet. I shrugged. It's hard to say. Maybe there's no tractors in port, or maybe nobody wants to take the double to get it there in time. A timer dinged, and he bustled about pulling hot egg pies from the oven to cool off a bit for serving. Mr. Hill joined me at the coffee urn with a smile and a nod. He glanced up at the screen as well, but offered no comment. We climbed the ladders to the bridge and settled into our watch. I kept thinking about those cans off and on through the morning watch. Mr. Wyatt's quiche was delivered up and consumed, both of us lost in our own thoughts, I scanned the overnight logs and checked the ship's status. Being captain and O.D. gave me a bit of advantage in terms of having many of the same responsibilities. In a lot of ways, O.D. was a kind of surrogate captain, so I found that the extra workload wasn't really all that egregious, other than not being able to walk about the ship as often as I'd seen other captains do. 
No matter what else I did, my mind kept coming back to that string of three cans and the amount of profit it could bring to the ship and what the costs might be if I did what I'd need to do in order to take them. Have you reached any decision, Captain? It was unlike Mr. Hill to initiate a conversation on the bridge. He was an excellent helmsman, and we developed into a good team. He'd been Captain Delman's helmsman, so perhaps that colored our relationship and may have made him more reticent to break into my silences. He did startle me with the question, however. Decision about which, Mr. Hill? The irregularities in the Agamemnon's mass allotments are. Oh, of course. I'm sorry, Mr. Hill. I've been a bit distracted by other issues. Even as I spoke, I realized that the solution to one problem had come to me while I was focused on the other. I understand, Captain. He sounded disappointed. Ten percent, Mr. Hill. Captain? He turned to look at me. I want ten percent of the profits rolled back into the Agamemnon's credit balance. There'll be some other restrictions as well, I think, but we can start there. His face took on a frown of concentration. You want us to do what, Captain? Sorry, Mr. Hill, you came in in the middle of a conversation I was having with myself. He seemed a bit confused, and I didn't really blame him. It's hard to follow conversations that veer so unpredictably from course. Here's what I want, Mr. Hill. You gentlemen can continue using the Agamemnon's quota, up to but not to exceed the amount you currently have tied up. I estimate that to be about five full shares worth, something on the order of 200 kilograms. He nodded. It's something about that, Captain. In return, all profits from the use of that mass will be accounted for, and 10% of the profits will be donated to the Agamemnon's credit balance. 10%, Captain. Well, it's the traditional captain's share, Mr. Hill. It seems appropriate. You're using ship's resources, and the ship should profit from it. Is that before or after co-op charges, Captain? I considered that one. One of the bits of advice I'd given the group organizing the co-op was that they should invest in themselves first by rolling some amount of the profits back into the organization so that they'd have the funding to take care of all the odds and ends of expenses they'd incur through the course of doing business. After, Mr. Hill. That's very generous, Captain. I shook my head. I think it's fair. All Agamemnon is providing is some storage and the transport. Incrementally, it's nothing she's not doing already, so there's no additional expense involved. And in return, we serve a greater good by creating a revenue stream for the good of the ship that doesn't depend on voluntary contributions of a very small crew. He thought about that for a time. One other thing, Mr. Hill. He braced for the bad news. I need to be able to inspect the goods on demand. You want us to approve them with you, Captain? I could hear the concern in his voice. No, Mr. Hill, I have too much to do to approve or disapprove of these transactions individually, and you gentlemen need some operating room to be able to take advantage of market conditions. Then what, Captain? When it strikes my fancy, I want to be able to see all the goods you've booked in the ship's name. If push comes to shove and I get called to answer the question, did you know this was aboard, Captain, I don't want to have to say no. That would look very bad. He looked a bit troubled by this. I understand the need, Skipper, but right now I think it would take a stand just for us to find it all to show you. How do we do this? We frowned at each other in concentration. I don't know, Mr. Hill, but I know who to ask. Let's table that point until we can put together a workable solution, shall we? He nodded in agreement. That sounds reasonable to me, Captain. He continued to look at me as if waiting for the conversation to continue. Mr. Hill? Is there more, Captain? 
More what, Mr. Hill? More conditions, Captain? So far you want 10% and the ability to inspect the goods. I thought about it. Yes, Mr. Hill, if I find goods that seem to be a danger to the ship in any way, I reserve the right to dispose of them immediately without dispute or recourse. That includes dropping them out the lock. Well, of course, Captain, I sort of took that as a given. I considered the topic a while longer. I'm sure the details of the arrangement will evolve, Mr. Hill, but if you see anything I've missed... He braced before continuing. I was thinking that perhaps the captain might want to exact some punishment, sir. I made a big show of considering it. I appreciate the offer, Mr. Hill, but I can't think of anything the captain might want to do in that regard. He looked at me with an expression I couldn't really read. It looked a little like disbelief. I relented and offered the explanation. You found a hole and you used it, Mr. Hill. Shame on me. On the procedures, really, for having the hole. I'm not going to lower the boom on you for exploiting it. There may or may not be some ethical issue involved, but they occurred on somebody else's watch, and I'm not going to try to second-guess with the advantage of hindsight. He looked relieved. Thank you, Captain. I shrugged. There's no thanks needed, Mr. Hill, but you're welcome. Just don't violate my trust, it's all I ask. We're one ship, one crew. We need each other, and trust is the glue that'll bind us, or break us. He considered that. It stabbed me that he looked like he wanted to believe it, but wasn't sure he could. The rest of the watch was routine and passed without additional incident or commentary. Mr. Paul relieved the watch on time, and we went down to luncheon at the best deck. Mr. Wyatt had prepared a very nice grilled chop for lunch with rice and two vegetables and seemed very pleased with the reception it got. We were still on the frozen pies for desserts, but he offered a side of ice cream, which was generally greeted with approval around the table. All through the meal, I had to fight to keep from looking over my shoulder at the cargo display, but I could tell from Mr. Wyatt's occasional glance. It was still there. We cleared away the rubble, and I took Mr. Hill and Mr. Wyatt aside to explain my requirement. Mr. Wyatt thought about it for only a moment. I think I know just the thing, Skipper. He led us out to the main lock. Fitted into one side of the lock was the embargo locker. That was where the ship sealed anything that might be aboard but considered contraband in any given port. Fitted into the other side was another large, empty, double locker. He slipped the catch and swung it wide. Guest locker, Captain. For visitors to the ship who need a place to park while they're aboard. I considered the space. Do we get many guests aboard, Mr. Wyatt? None that I've noticed, Captain. I turned to Mr. Hill. So what do you think? If I add the condition that everything you book to Agamemnon has to fit in this locker, is that acceptable, Mr. Hill? He was measuring the space with his eyes, and he nodded slowly as he took it all in. Absolutely, Skipper, and thank you. I held out my hand. Then we have a deal, Mr. Hill. If you'd notify your compatriots and have the goods transferred here over the next couple of days. He looked at me and at the hand as if confused for a moment but he shook the offered extremity and nodded. Yes, Captain, we have a deal. We'll get the stuff moved ASAP. He looked a little sheepish. Frankly, I'll be glad to sleep on a flat bunk again. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 33, Wellover System, 2372, February 22nd. Mr. Paul picked off the inner markers while we were still six days out of Wellover. The rest of the crew was, by then, in on the bet, and with the new updates came renewed interest. I felt the pressure to pick a can so we'd know where we were going next. The obvious choices involved grabbing three and heading back home, but the manifests heading inward were nothing to write home about, let alone carry with us. Everybody was getting into the act, and I was as likely to find Miss Thomas sitting at the table as Mr. Hill. It didn't help that those three high-priority cans were still sitting on the dock. The delivery date had shifted as we worked our way slowly down the gravity well. It was still too close for us to make, but it was tantalizing to watch it. It was almost 2200 when Mr. Paul caught me in the deserted mess deck, leaning against the counter with a fresh cup of coffee and staring at the screen. You're up late, Skipper. He nodded at the coffee mug. You planning on pulling an all-nighter? I smiled. No, Mr. Paul. I've never had any trouble sleeping, coffee or not. I just felt the need for some reason. I'll probably hit the rack soon. He crossed the mess deck and nodded at the screen. They keep changing the delivery date, Skipper. He joined me, drawing a cup and leaning on the counter beside me. The current date was April 3rd, 2372. I noticed that, Mr. Paul. How far do you think they'll go? I felt them shrug beside me. Till they get a carrier until the point is passed on the other end, I guess, Skipper. I glanced at him out of the corner of my eye. What's your best guess of runtime from here to Jet, Mr. Paul? Best guess, Skipper? Forty days, seven stands, and the odd tick for maneuvering. Pull out to clamp down. He paused to blow on his coffee. Approximately, Captain. That seems like a pretty accurate guess, Mr. Paul. He shrugged. Well, you know how long watches can get sometimes, Captain. I do indeed, Mr. Paul. I looked at the screen once more. Any variability in that estimate due to astronomical changes? He blew across the top of his mug again as he thought. Not enough to matter. Call it 40 days in round numbers, and we might slide a day off it, but not much more. And when would we have to leave to be able to take it? We could meet the deadline if we left tomorrow, Skipper. Not being docked yet is probably going to be an obstacle. 
You have a penchant for understatement I had not expected, Mr. Paul. Thank you, Captain, I try. You're doing well, Mr. Paul. Thank you, Captain. We stood there for a few more ticks. Would you do it, Skipper? Void the bet, Mr. Paul? Take the cargo, Skipper. At the moment, it's all hypothetical, Mr. Paul. We're the only tractor due in the next week, Skipper. I turned my head to look at him. He glanced up at me with a shrug. I picked up the shipping status updates from the inner beacons. I just happened to notice. Is that normal? DST has a lot of tractors, and we're hardly the only ones operating here, Mr. Paul. Honestly, Skipper, I don't know. We've always been in kind of a cocoon here. Captain Delman never seemed to be too interested in what's going on around us, so... He shrugged. I don't have any baseline. Shipping status shows five tractors outbound, four for Diurnia, one for Breakall. I wonder why one of them didn't take it. I said it aloud, but I didn't really expect an answer. Three were underway already when it posted last week, and the other two had booked cargoes. We're just in the right place at the right time. But I'd have to void the bet, and we'd have to take a double jump over to Jet. Mr. Paul shrugged. We stood there for a few more heartbeats. I have no idea what Mr. Paul was thinking, but my brain was engaged in a great deal of wheel spinning with precious little traction. Getting home late to Jen was high on my list of bad ideas because it set a precedent that I didn't really want to set. Booking the cans over the top of my agreement with Mr. Hill was likewise a bad idea. I'd be with this crew, with any luck, a lot longer than the benefits of this one trade might yield. Balanced against that was my obligation to the company to maximize profits where possible. That's what they paid me for and why they gave skippers as much leeway as they did. The run out to Welliver was going to be the most profitable this ship had seen in a decade. Expenses were going to be reduced by at least 10%, if not a lot more, because of the reduced runtime. Revenues should be a lot better because we'd picked three really good cans off the dock in Diurnia. The balance sheet on this one was going to total out at a very nice number for the crew's share value. Any direction I went had a serious downside, and short of flipping a coin, I couldn't see any rational way of choosing. To make the whole matter worse, it was all hypothetical. At the moment, we couldn't commit to the cargo. We were still too far out, and the deadline would pass before we could be expected to deliver the goods. The information that Mr. Paul had given me didn't really contribute to my peace of mind, nor did the lack of good alternatives for single cans. This cargo was the plum. I wondered if it would stay on the tree long enough for me to have to decide whether or not to pick it for real. I sighed and headed for the cabin. I wasn't sure I could sleep, but I had to try. I shouldn't have worried. My tablet bit me awake with barely enough time to grab a quick shower and a fresh ship suit before relieving Mr. Paul on the bridge. Mr. Hill was there ahead of me, and he handed me the cup of coffee that I would have gotten if there had been time. Thank you, Mr. Hill. I owe you one. He grinned, but offered no comment, and we proceeded to relieve the watch. It was around 6.10 when Mr. Wyatt came up to the bridge with our breakfast. Mr. Hill gave him a look, and Mr. Wyatt nodded once as he was sliding the trays onto the console. Mr. Hill was looking very nonchalant as he took fork to food and began to eat. Has the date changed, Mr. Wyatt? Why, yes, it has, Mr. Hill. I chuckled. All right, gentlemen, just a moment. I crossed to the systems console and brought up the current lists on the display so that I could leave it running while maintaining my own screen. The date had changed. They'd added a week to the deadline and raised a priority. The new date was April 10th. Behind me at the helm, I heard Mr. Hill laugh. They're getting desperate. 
I was running numbers in my head, and the sums still didn't add up. It's close, but we still can't take it. I turned to look at them. I talked to Mr. Paul last night. He says if we left today, we could do it, but we can't leave today. We're still five days out, and we'll need at least three days to turn the ship around. To make this deadline, we'd have to leave on the second day in port, and that's not enough time to top off tanks. The two of them looked deflated, and I began to smell a rat. Why? You two gentlemen shouldn't be all that interested in this string of cans. We need three individual cans for the bet. They looked at each other, and Mr. Hill shrugged in my direction while maintaining eye contact with Mr. Wyatt as if to say, You're the officer, you tell him. Mr. Wyatt took a short breath and turned to me. We've been chatting, Skipper. There is a way we can do this and keep the competition going if you're willing to take the double jump. I crossed to my seat at the watch station and sat down. Even I was smart enough to recognize a double team when I saw it. Go on, Mr. Wyatt, you've got my attention. He smiled. It's easy, Captain. According to the rules of the bet, we each have to pick one can. Go on, Mr. Wyatt. So, we each pick one can. Yes, but which cans, Mr. Wyatt? We've been watching for good cargoes all the way in. I'm going to have to lock a can in the next couple of days, but I don't see anything really good except that string. They were both grinning at me. Mr. Wyatt pointed to the screen. No, Captain, you don't understand. We each pick one of those cans. But there's no competitive advantage to that, Mr. Wyatt. Why would you want to do that? Neither of you will get ahead that way. It was Mr. Hill who provided me with the wake-up call. No, Skipper, but the ship will. The solution was stupidly simple when presented that way. I still had some personal issues, and the cargo was still hypothetical. We didn't have time to get in, unload, reload, and get out with enough time left. But I had to admit the envelope of possibilities was certainly expanding. You'd be willing, the two of you. I knew better than to ask that. They'd just set me up as neatly as any skipper had ever been sandbagged by his crew. They both shrugged and nodded. Mr. Wyatt added, why not? Well, that's one problem solved, Mr. Wyatt. I looked between the two of them. It's still hypothetical until that date gets to be April 11th or later. I need to check with Chief Gerhardt to find out if the ship is up to it before I can commit to it. They both agreed, and Mr. Wyatt removed himself from the bridge. Mr. Hill settled into his watch, and I did the same. Breakfast was stone cold, but I didn't really taste it. The cargo list kept blinking on the console across the bridge while I ran the overnight logs and tried not to think of just how mad my wife would be when I got home a month late. There was still the issue of whether the ship could handle the double. In my ponderations, I'd overlooked one significant facet. The Agamemnon had no kickers. Once we jumped between systems into the deep dark, we'd be down to maneuvering thrusters only. With no wind for the sails, it would be like sailing into the doldrums with only oars to row. I was under the impression that it was something that was possible. The cargo waiting on the dock seemed to require it, but was it actually feasible? I really needed to talk to the chief and make sure we had the legs to get through a double jump. In theory, we only needed to be outside the Burleson limit and oriented correctly in space. In practice, I knew we could spend a long, long time in the deep dark if we were sloppy. I'd like to say the rest of the watch was routine, but it wasn't. Routine is something that disappears. You do routine, and three ticks later you wonder if you did it. Routine is not trying to clear overnight logs while watching a blinking red date on the screen across the bridge for stands and wondering if it would flicker to something else while you were looking away. 
Self-discipline is a great thing. Mine got a workout for the rest of that watch, but it appeared to need some more exercise because I couldn't stop watching. Finally, I got up and shut the screen off. Mr. Hill looked up when I moved and smiled when I shut it down. Thank you, Captain. My pleasure, Mr. Hill. After that, the watch was routine. Mr. Paul relieved the watch promptly at 11.45, and I took him aside while Mr. Hill headed for chow. Mr. Paul, I need two days. He grinned. Feel daring, do you, Skipper? I'm feeling like I'm earning my princely wage on this trip, Mr. Paul. No lie. A thought suddenly occurred to me. Have you ever actually jumped out into the deep dark and back? He grinned wider. No, Captain, I never have. I've been on ships that did, but I've never tried to do it myself. In theory, it's no different, but... He shrugged and grinned even more broadly. What do you need to jump us back, Mr. Paul? If we get out there, can you plot us home? I think you and I are the two most experienced astrogators on the ship, Skipper. And just between you, me, and that stone-deaf lamppost over there, Miss Thomas ain't no slouch in her own right. Well, everything I know about it says jump out, jump in. But the difference between out and in usually involves some maneuvering while out there. What's your understanding, Mr. Paul? Skipper, you know as well as I do, if we know where we are and we know where we want to be, folding space to get there only requires a heading and enough steerage way to move us through the fold. With no star, there's no wind. No wind, no sails, Mr. Paul. As long as we don't stop, Skipper, we should be fine to scoot through on momentum. Oh, that word will bite us if we're not careful, Mr. Paul. Which one, Skipper? Stop? No, Mr. Paul. Should. He shrugged and kept grinning. Can you get me two days, Billy? Let me rerun some numbers this watch, Skipper. I'll tell you when you relieve me. It's good enough for me. Don't risk the ship, but five percent is plenty of cushion. Well, let me see what I can do, Skipper. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Yo-ho-ho, ho, Skipper. I clattered down the ladder and headed for the cabin. I needed another few ticks to think about this. If Mr. Paul could shave two days, we had a chance of making that contract even at the current deadline. The sole remaining issue was whether or not this was viable from an engineering standpoint. When I got to the mess deck, crew had already gathered. They were in a festive mood, and obviously the notion that we might be making the double was well received. The problem was that I really needed to talk to the chief about our jump capacity, and I wanted to be subtle. I was pondering how exactly I would handle it. Perhaps after the lunch mess, I'd follow her down to engineering, where we could talk. I also wanted to talk to Ms. Thomas about her experience jumping into the deep dark and back. I was focusing so much on my problem and the lovely bit of braised chicken that Mr. Wyatt had done for luncheon, I almost missed my cue. Ms. Thomas leaned over to the chief. She lowered her voice to a tone that was quiet for her, although certainly loud enough to be heard in the passage outside, if not on the bridge. So, chief, what about the drives? Can they handle a double? The chief smiled up at her, the little girl voice on her lips. Oh, pshaw, Miss Thomas. Those bad boys are good for three or four big bends. Easy peasy. As she lowered her face back to her plate again, she cast a brief look in my direction, and I caught a distinct wink. That wasn't so startling as it once might have been. I was getting used to her ways, and it was exactly what I needed to know. I'd still chatter up about it later, but my unease over the ship's readiness was reduced greatly. At some point, I'd have to sit down with folks and hash it all out in the open, but I really did like to have my waterfowl all lined up before I started quacking. There was something about Miss Thomas, though. When she spoke, it reminded me of something. I tried to remember it, and I couldn't. I had the feeling it was something Mr. Paul had said, and that didn't seem right either. 
I sighed quietly to myself and finished off the last of the chicken on my plate. Mr. Wyatt had ice cream with syrup for afters, and after that I'd need a nap. It was shaping up to be a long evening. Chapter 34, Welliver System, 2372, February 22nd. By 17.30 I was up, redressed, and even had time for a fast shower. I ran down to the mess deck and found Mr. Wyatt, as usual, bustling about, and Mr. Hill waiting at the coffee urns. What's for dinner, Mr. Wyatt? He smiled over to me, but didn't stop moving. Something called a beefy bean bake on tap for tonight, Skipper. New recipe. I took a good noseful. Smells good, Mr. Wyatt. Have you talked to the chief yet, Skipper? I have, Mr. Wyatt, and she assures me we won't have any technical issues. I turned to rest my rump on the counter edge beside Mr. Hill. The screen was showing the cargo list. Still, I noticed that a few more priority cans were showing up the closer in we got. Nothing like the string of three at the top, but at least an alternative. We still have a pesky timing issue, though. He made a nonspecific noise of agreement and stuck his head into the oven to check on dinner. Shall we go up to the penthouse, Mr. Hill? He grinned. Yes, let's do, Captain. We scampered up the ladders and found Mr. Ricks and Mr. Paul grinning at us as we popped up onto the bridge. Let's relieve the watch, and then you can show me, Mr. Paul. Aye, aye, Captain. There was no sense trying to be coy around the crew at this point. It was an open secret with Mr. Ricks, and Mr. Hill was no dummy. I had no doubt that most of the people assembling for breakfast would know what was happening before dinner mess was over. I calculated using the same 5% out and 10% in that we used for the jump here, but when I recalculate with a fiver on the inbound leg to jet, we save three days, Captain. Mr. Paul brought up a calculator, and I plunked down into the seat to look it over. It was a much more complicated plot, with a jump to nowhere, a quick spin about the place, and then a jump to somewhere. Nowhere was a misnomer, of course. It was actually almost the midpoint between Welliver and Jet, and about a Burleson unit under Diurnia, in the galactic down direction. Because there was no mass out there to speak of, safety margins weren't a meaningful construct. There simply was no gravity well to worry about. Any idea what's out there, Mr. Paul? High Tortuga, Skipper. High Tortuga, Mr. Paul. Oh, aye, Captain. It's where all the pirate captains meet to trade their booty and drink their rum between raids. Mr. Ricks was still with us on the bridge and grinning broadly. Mr. Hill snorted once in what could have been a very credibly muffled laugh. Thank you for that bit of space lore, Mr. Paul. I had no idea. Oh, yo-ho-ho, Skipper. He turned to Mr. Ricks. I'm feeling peckish, Mr. Ricks. Shall we dine? Thank you, Mr. Paul. I think that sounds splendid. They took their Chauncey and Edward routine down the ladder, presumably to the galley, where they'd no doubt amuse the crew with tales of great Ulysses. Mr. Hill, has the crew gotten a bit... I'm not sure of the word. Space happy? How do you mean, Skipper? Mr. Hill was still focused on getting his watch in order, and that reminded me I needed to do the same. I brought up the logs before answering. Everybody seems a bit different from when I came aboard. Less tense. More twisted, Captain. While that has such a negative connotation, Mr. Hill, I, I hesitate to use that term exactly. Not in this context, Captain, although I take your point. Your thoughts, Mr. Hill? Well, Skipper, every ship I've ever been on, the crew's been a reflection of the Captain. I was afraid you'd say that, Mr. Hill. You're welcome, Captain. Just then Mr. Wyatt came up onto the bridge with our dinners. He sported an eye patch over his left eye and had a very credible cutlass fashioned from aluminum foil thrust through a belt he'd strapped on the outside of his ship suit. 
He delivered the trays without comment, as was his habit, and sailed back down into the ship. Mr. Hill watched him come and go, and offered no additional comment until we were alone again. Any time, Captain. We managed to get the watch established and dinner eaten. Mr. Hill began to fidget in his seat before 1900. Problem, Mr. Hill. Well, Skipper, unless I completely misunderstood, Mr. Paul just said we could deliver those cans on time. That he did, Mr. Hill. And we have no engineering issues, do we, sir? It looks like a very viable route, if a bit nerve-wracking, Mr. Hill. He turned to look at me. Then why haven't you booked the cans yet, Skipper? Call it a hunch, Mr. Hill. A hunch, sir. Yes, Mr. Hill, a hunch. He gave me the arched eyebrow, but subsided to his watch without additional comment. I did have a hunch, and we were still five days out. A lot could happen in five days, including having the cargo canceled if it weren't booked. As we ran the watch up to midnight, I kept thinking about the delay in getting home. In the end, I realized that I'd made up my mind some time back. This was a fat prize, and it was my job to grab it. Given the chance, I would. Toward the end of the watch, I noticed Mr. Hill kept glancing in my direction. Something wrong, Mr. Hill? No, Captain, just... Mr. Hill? You're smiling, Captain. Is that unusual, Mr. Hill? That smile, Skipper? Yes, it's a bit... He paused, looking for the word. Frightening, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Hill. I'll take that under advisement. He sounded amused as he settled back to his watch. You're welcome, Captain. For three more days, I waited. After the frenetic activity leading up to it, this waiting game seemed at once anticlimactic and agonizing. Every time I entered the mess deck, every head turned to me to see if this were the moment. Even Chief Gearhart almost let her camouflage slip. Mr. Hill and I had just come off morning watch on the 25th, and lunch mess was well underway when all activity at the table, save my own, ceased. I glanced up to see them all staring at the screen. In all honesty, I was a bit nervous about looking. One of two things had happened. I tried to be as nonchalant as I could, and I turned to look. I was deliberate in my movements and returned to my plate and the succulent chop that awaited me there. I took another small morsel and savored it almost as much as I savored, in an odd and very twisted way, keeping my dining companions on edge. I swallowed and, pretending not to see them all staring at me, took a languid sip of coffee. I dabbed my lips with my napkin before speaking. If you'd booked that at your earliest convenience, Mr. Wyatt. Of course, Captain. He excused himself and headed for his stateroom. Nothing happened on the screen, but we were still running on data from the inner beacons and would need to wait for a full stand for updates. Miss Thomas looked at me across the table. Did you know it was going to go up, Captain? I shook my head. No, Miss Thomas, just a hunch. We are the only tractor in the system that can take that load and have it delivered in a reasonable amount of time. The shipper is undoubtedly aware of it. That last shift in date was a signal, I think. When we didn't jump on it, they were left with three courses of action. Extend it again, pull the cargo, or raise the priority. Mr. Schubert's eyes went round. Pull the cargo, Skipper? You took a chance that we'd miss it altogether? They had a lot riding on it. And what are they going to do with it here if it needs to be in jet? I glanced up at the screen again. It wasn't much of an increase, just enough of a wiggle to get us to bite on it. And it worked. Chief Gerhardt raised her mug and toast, and the rest of the crew followed. She didn't say anything out loud, but her eyes congratulated me silently. 
I made a little mock bow to the table at large, and we settled down to a very credible granapple cobbler that Mr. Wyatt had prepared from scratch. It seemed we'd finally run out of frozen pies. Thanks for listening to Captain Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.